books, okay? Okay, and, and marketers know that by branding something is new, and half the time it's hardly changed, okay? I would not get assassinated by Apple for saying this. Every new Apple upgraded phone is hardly any different to the previous one. <laughs> Seriously. And so, but the fact it's got new, you want to go and get it. And I've seen Teresa queue for days to get the latest one. Okay? And so that's the effect as it has on you, you see. It's almost hypnotic. You're drawn to it like, a, like, like, like an insect to light. If it's new, you've got to have it. But that's not always the case. That is the case with commodities such as new, uh, a new dishwasher or whatever else it may be. It's not always the case. You see, whenever we would try to introduce something new to our kids, for example, and it's not sugary, <laughs> yeah, it, th th there's not the same appetite for the new. Then it's, I don't like it before they've even tried it. Seriously. It's the wrong color. <laughs> it's what it is. So here's the thing. See, the new thing is only in certain domains. In some areas, nobody wants the new, especially kids. Uh, they're not prepared to take the risk to even try it. Our boy, one of his favorite lines is when, when we say, what do you like? He goes, I like what I like. Okay? That's what it is. He likes what he likes. <laughs> Sweets, I think that means. Right. So there are some areas where actually we don't want something new. There are areas in our lives where we're pretty comfortable. I mean, I mean, let me guess somebody. I mean, I mean, Lorraine, she always sits there every single week. Okay, I try sitting there one day. I, oh, I felt somebody drag me by the back of the neck, pull me out of the door, and she plunked herself there. Okay? She, it has to be there every week. Okay? <laughs> we are. You see, we like new things in some ways, but in other things, we don't want, it can't be new. We can't deal with it. We're not prepared to take the risk. We're not prepared to let go of what's familiar. You know, we know this in life. You know, we have to get up the same time or go to bed the same time uh, or go to work the same route. We have these things in our lives whereby actually we're so ingrained into who we are that we can't actually contemplate or palate change. We don't want the new thing. The new thing is, is totally undesirable. And so when we, what we're looking at today together, friends, is a situation just like that. Jesus is coming, is coming to our world and is introducing something new. Something radically new. And in fact, it's not like the iPhone, you see, where you want the new iPhone. This is now touching on creature comfort. It's deeper than that. It's not touching on just merely creature comfort. This is touching on the very identity of a group of people. Who are we talking about? The Jews. The Jews. Jesus is about to introduce something new that is fundamentally going to change 
everything Jews know about Judaism. Everything they know about the temple, everything they know about relating to him, everything they know about uh, offering sacrifices, everything they know about the priestly system, everything they know about Moses, everything they know about the commandments, everything. Jesus is about to introduce something new and so radical that it's going to turn upside down every single thing they've ever known. In fact, he's going to challenge their very identity as Jews, which is tied to Judaism. And so naturally, this isn't a, the iPhone they want to rush out and queue up three days to buy. What do you think the reaction is? Mm, let's look at it. Let's look at it. You see, because this isn't the new iPhone. This is trying to get Lorraine out of their seat next Sunday. And boy, that's going to be tough. Okay? I know. Not really. Okay, so let me look at the passage with you. So we're in Luke 5. How can we do with my glasses? Will somebody get my laptop in the front zip pocket as a set of glasses? It's in there, thank you. Uh, so we're, we're in there. Uh, it's in, in the front small zip pocket at the front, thank you. Uh, so we're in Luke 5, 36 to 39. Okay, let me just give you some context. 1 to 11, we have Jesus calling disciples. Okay, in verses 20... Uh, Thanks, mate. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Boy, it's a sign of old age. There. There you go. Wow. <laughs> Why don't I just put these on at the beginning? Wow. Okay. So everything I said before I put these on, ignore. <laughs> okay. This is the real sermon. Right. Okay. So look. So, so far in 1 to 11, we have the calling of some disciples in 27 to 28. Okay. We have, uh, we have uh, moving on to another disciple, this time Levi. Uh, and by, by the end of by chapter 6, we have their identification and their full number presented to us. So, look, this is associated with calling the, calling the disciples and establishing what he wants to do with these 12 men or 11. Okay? And this is what he wants to do. Look, he begins here, and, and we notice this in verses 30 to 32, that when he's at the meal at Levi's house, Matthew, who is just called, okay, he gets challenged, Jesus, okay, about what he's doing, by the fact that his disciples aren't feasting, sorry, aren't fasting. Okay, this is his response. Uh, sorry, rather about the company Jesus is keeping. This is his response. He answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The Pharisees, naturally, all people do it. We do it. They keep company with people they liked. If there was a rebel, a sinner, okay? They wanted nothing to do with him. They wouldn't invite him to their house. They wouldn't hang out with him. What's Jesus doing? He is. So he's doing, can you see? And, see, and it's deliberate. He's beginning to introduce the concept that... Things have got to change around here. That's what's going on. He's beginning to introduce this concept that things have got to change around here. They, this is uncomfortable. It's repugnant. Eating with tax collectors and sinners. But Jesus' point is simply this. Look, and here's a commentator. His presence on the earth marks the beginning of a new era. His presence on earth. It, so things have to change. It's time now to start doing 
Well, you see, what, what was the reason? See, it's a religious reason. This is why it's going to change. What was the reason they didn't want to eat with tax collectors and sinners, the religious folks? Yes, and what was, what was, what the, what was the ramification of that uncleanness? What, why did it matter? Yes, why? Before they could do what? Before they could go to the temple and worship. That's the issue. It isn't just that they don't like them. They can't worship God, you see. These are vile sinners and they're getting unclean. And so Jesus' point is, hey, everything's going to change now. This is a new era. And now, by eating with jingo, doesn't make you unclean. I know, I've tried it. Okay, it doesn't make you unclean. Something's about to change. It moves on to the fasting one, okay? The fasting one. So they want to now know why aren't the disciples fasting? Like they do. They fasted every Monday, every Thursday. It was an act of their piety. Well, if Jesus is really that pious, why aren't his disciples fasting? And Jesus' point is the same. Hey, everything's changing. Everything's changing. This is the time to get prepared for and celebrate what's coming. Everything's changing, and now's the time to get prepared about, for, excited about, and ready for the new thing. And then he comes to it in verses 36. So that's a bit of the context. Here's where we are. This is what I want to deal with you for the re- remainder of our time today. So let me just put that there. Verses 36 to 39. Let me just read them to you to begin with. Sarah read them to us kindly earlier, but I'll just reread them in black country. He told them this parable. No one sews a patch from a new garment. No one tears, sorry, a patch from a new garment and sews it onto an old. If he does, he will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the wineskins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No one, no, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. No one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for he says the old is better. So what is going on here? I normally... Next slide. And normally when I'm working through a passage, I show you how I've done my working out and give you the heading so you know how I'm going to hang everything that comes off the heading. But this time we're leaving it blank. Okay, I want to take you on a journey with me. I want to show you where I'm getting to without telling you where we're going. Exciting, eh? Yeah. I want you to come with me on a journey before you know where you're going. So let me take you. Okay. So the subheading we're going to get later We're looking at these verses, these four verses. Let me take you back to the roots of Judaism. What is the roots of Judaism? Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the chief patriarch, father of the the Jews, after Abraham, Isaac and Jacob the one they referred to continually throughout Jesus' message, the one they were, were ad, uh, uh, you know, Adam and they were part of is who? Moses. 
Jews love Moses, and then there's good reason for it. You see, Abraham was the beginning of the Jewish race, the call of Abraham, that God called him. He said he'll make a great nation of them, make them a blessing to the nations. But it's Moses where that really begins to pan out. It's Moses in Exodus 34 that God appears to, the Lord saw. And look, when the Lord saw all that had uh, gone, gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, Moses says, here I am. Then God says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face. Why do you think he hid his face when he realized who he was speaking to? No one can see God and live. This is God. You stand before God in awe. And if he's a God who doesn't change, it means we stand before him in awe today. Seriously. Okay? It's not like he's changed. He's the same one. Which means we stand in awe before him today. We should do. Okay, the Lord says, I've indeed seen the misery of my people. I've heard their crying from their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. So Moses, go. I'm sending you. Deliver my people. Moses delivers the Israelites, over 2 million of them. In verse 24 of Exodus, he establishes the system by which they can relate to God. That system is called the covenant or the Mosaic covenant or the Sinaitic covenant. Okay, all the same thing. And we said that that covenant is law-based. It's anchored in law. We said in Deuteronomy 4.13, he declared to you his covenant... The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is the covenant. And the Ten Commandments is effectively the whole of the Old Testament just expanded, just lived out or failed or exemplified. The whole of the Old Testament is effectively the summing up of the law, which is effectively the Old Covenant. So here's the thing. Israel and Judaism, Jews and their Judaism are so closely tied the law, the sacrificial system, the temple, the prophets, the Jerusalem, the Decalogue specifically, are so particular to Judaism that you can virtually, virtually can't separate the two. It's absolutely natural that a Jew could not stomach a covenantal change because he's changing everything that they know. I mean, just think of your ancestors. I mean, just the, the, the trip across from England, uh, you know, across this country, mammoth transformation of everything they knew about life. Mammoth to a continent that hadn't been inhabited by, uh, uh, no, it was inhabited by more sophisticated um, people. Not that any humanity is more sophisticated than other, but at least technologically. I've got to be careful what I say here, haven't I? Okay, <laughs> right. Uh, at least technologically more advanced, okay? It was a huge thing. What you ate, what you did, okay? It was a massive transformation. Okay, now that's just mine now. I want you to imagine the transformation of the Jew. The Jew is the law. The Jew is the covenant. The Jew are the Ten Commandments. The Jew is the temple. These are all so fundamental to Judaism that you cannot separate one from the other. Absolutely endemic. So that's the background. A Jewish person and Judaism and the covenant are so closely tied. Okay? So closely tied that you cannot separate one from the other. It's against that background that Jesus speaks. Listen to this. He told them this parable. 
no one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on the old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. Okay, any sowers? Sowers, not sowing seed. What do you call somebody who does needlework? Seamstress. Any seamstresses here? A brun, brun. Okay, look, you better explain this better than me. Look, the simple philosophy, what's going on here, okay? No one sells the patch from an old garment. So your, your garment is ruined, okay? It's all old and worn. You've had it for 20 years, okay? Okay, if you now take a patch from a new garment, okay, and apply it to the, to the old one, how good does the old one look? No. No, I think that's the point. Actually, uh, you try and put a new piece of garment on an old thing, and, and that old thing, remember by now, it's lost its shade several times. It's worn over several times. Okay? Right? So, so, so you put it, and the thing is damaged. The patch will not match. So the results aren't positive. Okay, yeah, okay, I'm getting to that. Okay, okay. So the results aren't positive. Here's the thing. See, when I was at school, okay, before I go to school, it was a long time ago. Okay, if I wear a pair of jeans like that, what are you thinking? What are you thinking, Michael? What a trendy pasta. Yeah, seriously. Absolutely trendy, right? If I did that when I was at school, I'd get beaten up and be called a scrubber. A scrubber. I get to use that term here. Seriously, a scrubber. You know, and if I try to fix it, if I tried to put a, if my parents tried to put a patch on, on that old garment, I would get bullied to death. Absolutely. Look at him, you know. Can't afford the new pair of trousers. He's, look at him, he's sold a patch onto it. He's pathetic. But you know, if I get a pair of trousers that are ripped like that today and sew a, piece, a patch on it and it's a bodge job, the, more, the worse it looks, the more fashionable I look. <laughs> Seriously, it's bizarre, isn't it? It's absolutely bizarre, right? So... The point is simply this. Things have changed, okay? But the issue here is that when a garment gets looking like that, it's meant to be thrown away, right? Okay? Really, seriously. It's meant to be thrown away. It's not meant to be paraded, okay? Because it's old. If you try and fix it, it just looks worse. And Jesus' point is simply this, that putting an old, putting a new cloth patch on an old garment is incompatible. That's the first point, okay? It's incompatible to try and put a new piece of cloth on a worn out uh, piece of clothing is incompatible. It doesn't work. You can't do that. That's his first point. Bear that in mind. Let me take you to the second. Incompatibility actually ruins the garment. It ruins both garments. Why does it ruin both garments? Trying to mix the two, what is he ruining both garments? Because Jesus says it, it, it's what's happening. Why is he ruining both garments? You've wrecked your new one by cutting something of it, and you've wrecked the old one by the fact it doesn't match. So it's a double negative, okay? You've wrecked it in both ways, okay? Secondly, verses 37 to 38. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new skins, okay? 
when it comes to the, look, I can do the clothes thing. I've worn rubbish clothes and I've tried to fix them. When I was trying to, trying to relate to this illustration, I was really struggling because I don't drink. I've got nothing against drinking. I just don't like the taste of it. Then I thought, ah, oh, Graham, in his shed, the, you know, the one where he keeps all his stuff, full of booze, absolutely full of wine. Did you know, Denise? Yes. Seriously. Okay, but no, Graham didn't really help me. Uh, I got some of this off Google. But it, here's how wine works. You see, when you're making wine... It's in a ferment, it ferments. Uh, look, I'm really not an expert here, but that fermentation causes expansion, okay, the expansion of gases, particularly. And if you put that wine into old wineskins made of materials such as animal stomachs and so forth, which have been carrying wine for years and years, which have been exposed to the sun for years and years, they become somewhat sensitive. You now stick brand new fermenting wine where there's that chemical reaction still in his pre-infancy, in his infancy. What happens? Yeah, seriously, that's the point here. You, 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 you burst. And now here's the thing. At the moment of that bursting, you've done damage firstly to the wineskins. They're not good for anything else. They're not any good even for old wine now. And you've done what to your wine? You've lost it. You wasted it. Seriously. So you've got double negatives again, double implications again. You've both damaged the old wineskins and you've damaged the new uh, wine, if you like. The incompatibility this time is, if you like, disastrous. Did you get that? The incompatibility this time is disastrous because you've lost the product. You can't even, you know, has anybody ever tried regaining wine after spilling it? <laughs> on sand? Okay, it just <laughs> doesn't work, does it? Yeah, you know that, it doesn't work, does it? Okay, so, so this is not just merely incompatibility now, this is destruction. That's Jesus' point. So the first parable spoke about incompatibility, the one cloth onto another one just doesn't work, both are ruined. The second parable is speaking about the incompatibility being so serious that in the process you've caused destruction. You've destroyed both. You've destroyed the wine and you've, and you've destroyed the wineskin. So this is huge, the impact of the wine thing. So what is going on? Okay, let's look at the context. So Jesus is assimilating new disciples. He's establishing a change. He's introducing something new. He wants, uh, he's demonstrating that things now don't make you unclean. They used to make you unclean. You can eat now with a tax collector and still be clean, even with a Gentile, which Peter learned later, remember? Peter had to learn that through the illustration of the sheep and the animals in the, in the white cloth. Okay, that you no longer get contaminated by doing unclean things. So that's the context. In that context, these two parables, have a guess, educated one. What do you think they're referring to? In what way? Take the two illustrations and tell me specifically, but the problem with each of those two illustrations and therefore the problem with the covenant and what Jesus is doing with the covenants rather. Have a go. Okay, so, yeah, so the old is done away with. That's one of the things that comes out of it. What else? They're not compatible. They cannot exist side by side. 
Okay? They're not in company. Let me, let me come to it. That's where we're going. Let me come to me show you. First of all, look, here's a, let me take you back. See, a Jew should have known that. When Jesus began introducing a new covenant, don't do anything yet, Ricky. When Jesus uh, began to introduce a new covenant, should that have surprised the Jew? The fact that Jesus is introducing something new, should they have been surprised? Well, they were, but they shouldn't have been. Why shouldn't they have been? The Jew knew. What did the Jew know? If he really searches out, what did he know? It's in Jeremiah 31. It's come up on the screen now. Yeah, what did the Jew know was coming? He knew. He didn't know. Because no one read the, no one read the verses properly. But they should have known. See, right within Judaism, I want to show you the powders, right in the heart of Judaism, not on the periphery, not by a peripheral prophet, not by a minor, but by a central figure in Jewish history, okay, prophesies what? I will make a new covenant. And what does he say in verse 32? He won't be like the first one. Just in case you're thinking it's a modified one. You know, like a tweaked one. You know, with a bit of, with two sugars instead of one sugar. It's not. What does he say about the new covenant? It will not be like the covenant and maybe before the first thing the Jew should have understood is that God was going to do something new in the history that would be nothing like their past. That would completely turn their past upside down. It would be entirely new. In fact, it probably had nothing to do with the previous one because he says, look, it won't be like the first one. If I gave you a shirt, uh, Jenny, and then I gave you a new one. I said, this is a new one. It's nothing like the first one. And it's still at the same flowers. What would you think? Exactly. You tricked me. Okay, this thing is entirely new. It looks nothing like the first. And it's right in the center of Judaism. That the thing is going to change one day. Entirely, graphically. And Jesus' illustration showing, friends, not just the change... But it shows the gravity of the change. And I want to look at that with you. It's not just showing the fact that this, something's going to change in how we relate to God. But the gravity, it's, it's, it's huge, the change. So then here's the point. So Jesus' point about the non-fasting of his disciples, his point about the garment, and his point about the wine, is illustrating the inauguration of the new covenant, which is about to be cut a covenant that radically changes the way we relate to God and may have nothing to do with the previous one in that sense or may change the previous one entirely. We have to read that much into Jeremiah because he does say it will be nothing like the first one. It's a very important point, which means a new one has got to look different. Otherwise, it's not a new covenant. It's got to look different. They didn't know when it was coming, and they weren't really expecting it, Jim. They may well have done. And I don't think, not only were they not expecting it, I don't think they were really expecting it. You know, the, the text was there, but it's embedded deep in Jeremiah. I'm not convinced they were even expecting anything radical. But Jesus comes on the scene, and he's presenting something radical. So here's my point. This is my point. It's on the screen already. My point, therefore, is this. Jesus, not Judaism is now the exclusive vehicle for rightly relating to God. 
That's the radical nature of what Jesus was doing. Jesus, not Judaism, which includes the entirety of the Old Testament, is now the exclusive vehicle, the only one, for rightly relating to God. Let me show you. This is, look, this is like I say, it's going to be expanded in Galatians. Well, let me just give you a bit more. I want to take you back to the parables. If you think I'm squeezing the parables... Sounds like a pun almost, doesn't it, in this context? If you think I'm squeezing the parables too much, let me take you, retake you through the steps of the parable, okay? Verse 36. Let's look at the garment one first. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. Okay, if this is the Mosaic Covenant, which, which I'm suggesting what Jesus, it is, uh, can you see what Jesus is saying about the Mosaic Covenant? If he's, if he's comparing it to an old garment, okay, Okay, which needs to be repaired. What's he saying about the old covenant, about Judaism, about the whole way the Jews knew about relating to God? What's he saying? What's the inference? It's broken. It doesn't work. You've got to read it like that. By suggesting that it needs fixing, by suggesting it's old, he's saying it's kaput. You've got to see like that. It's kaput. It's not performing what it's meant to do. What did the Jews think he was going to do for them? And he never did it for them. Galatians tells us he never did it for them. What did they think he would do for them? Make them right with God. What did Galatians tell us? No one, but no one, but no one will be justified by the law. He says it quite clearly. Okay? It's broken. It doesn't work. It's why Jeremiah prophesied a new Covenant. So the point here is, so, so the parable is telling us this, the Mosaic Covenant is being regarded as old, it's broken, it needs to be fixed, but the remedy isn't what? What's the, what is not the remedy? Add a new bit to it. What is the new bit? The new covenant. Okay, so what's he saying? The remedy isn't to do what would Jesus is teaching. Jesus is teaching the new covenant. Just add it onto it. That's his point. You can't glue the new covenant to the old. No, 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 no. Because it's disastrous. If you try and do that, if you try and have a synchristic religion of Judaism and Christianity, what, according to the parable, what happens to both garments? Do you ruin both? Then they cannot be fixed. The new cannot fix the old by by having it side by side. That's Jesus' purpose. The two things are completely and utterly incompatible. The first one. Okay, the first patch will damage the new thing. So when Jesus... So let me just move on to the second. So the first one is completely incompatible. They cannot exist side by side. The second one, the wine. Let me just take you through the verses of the wine. Verse 37. Can I go to verse 37, please? Ricky, it'll come up for you in a second. No one pours. There it is, thank you. No one. There it is, thank you. No one pours new wine into old wineskins, okay? They cannot mix. That's the point here. So if Moses and the covenant and Judaism and the Old Testament is the old covenant, and we're saying that's what it is here, okay? What's he saying? So that's effectively the old wineskins. Now, what happens if you put the new wine of Jesus' ministry, the new covenant, into Judaism? 
Last time it was just merely incompatible. What happens this time? If he does, the new wine bursts. And what happens to the, to burst the old wine skins? And what happens to the new wine? What's he saying now? What's he saying now? So the first one was meaning compatibility doesn't work. But now it's serious. What's he now saying? It's disastrous. It's absolutely disastrous. Because you now completely destroyed Judaism. And you completely destroyed the new covenant. Both are, if you try and mix the covenants in any sense whatsoever, try and bring any rules from the one into the other without Jesus' explicit instruction. And one thing I'm going to show in Galatians, he does bring certain universal laws specifically into it that he selects as being God. But if you try and arbitrarily try and mix the covenants, try and put one into the other, try and do both, try and keep both, try and live both, the wine is destroyed and the bag alongside you. Here's what Marshall, uh, Marshall writes, a commentator. To attempt to contain the gospel within the bounds of Judaism will only destroy both. But the saying goes further and makes the positive point. The gospel is radically new and must be allowed to express itself on its own way. The point is simply the gospel and the new covenant must be allowed to express themselves entirely independently of the first covenant. Entirely independently of the first covenant. Because here's the thing. Look, if you think I'm exaggerating, I'll take it to Paul. You can shoot Paul for this. Paul is so livid. Do you use that word in this country? Livid? Okay, angry. He is so livid with the Galatian church. Because they were trying to have a syncretized religion, a bit of Judaism, a bit of Christianity. Because here's what he says. And I want you to see, I want you to see why Paul is angry. He is absolutely, I'm ready to beat you up. Because this is a danger. If you try and do even one bit of Mosaic law as a part of your Christianity, this is what happens. This is what happens to the wineskin. Listen to this. Next one, please. Someone read these words to me. Mark my words. Exclamation mark, 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 mark. Ten exclamation marks, okay? Mark my words. Paul uh, Paul, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, that was a part of the old covenant, okay? Christ will be of how much value to you? Zero value. Okay, he's not just talking about circumcision, he's talking about law. If you try and do the Old Testament law as a Christian, you don't have Jesus. That's a, like, don't shoot me. Paul says, if you try and do Old Testament law as a Christian because you think it's going to benefit or develop your Christianity in any form, you don't have Jesus. It's disastrous. Listen, again, I declare to you, every man who lets himself be circumcised obeys one law of the Old Testament because he thinks it benefits him salvifically. What must he do? Yeah, so he's saying, okay, so you want to do it the law way? Okay, then. What he's doing? Can you see what he's doing? You want to do it the law way? You prefer law? I'll buy every single one of them. And if you fail even one, you're condemned. That's what he's saying. Make your mind up. Do you want to do it the law way? Go ahead. 
or do you want to do it the grace way? But what you must never do is try and add one to the other or to run two simultaneous platforms. The one platform, let me use computer technology, must supersede a previous platform. The two cannot coexist, cannot be held together. No, new wine must be poured into new skins. It must have a platform all of its own. Okay, it must start afresh. It must have its own set of rules, its own set of laws, its own ways of relating to God. We're going to see all of this in Galatians. It has all of that. It's why the reformers in a different context were adamant, staked their lives on it, and died for it, starting with Martin Luther. It's why they coined these phrases. Can, you, can, can we have see the next one, please? Solo fide. By faith alone, solo gratia, okay? By grace alone, solus Christus. By Christ alone, their point was, it was a reaction at that point against Catholicism, but their point was, not a jot or an ounce of law. You see? Only Jesus. This is the gospel, friends. The gospel is exclusive. Why do you think Paul said, whatever was to my gain as a Jew, I now count as? Yeah, loss and regarded as? He's talking about Judaism here. No, rubbish is not the word. The English King James word is the, is the stronger, clearer word. He's talking about Judaism. I count it not only as loss, but dung. Did you hear that? Because in Jesus, I found free salvation. In Jesus, is free. It's just faith. Seriously, absolutely seriously. Your faith is not anchored in a single law, single ritual, single practice. It's merely, exclusively, on faith in Jesus. And what Paul is so angry in Galatia is because they are syncretizing the gospel, trying to impose Judaism onto it. And he is angry because the minute you do it, it's disastrous for Judaism and for Christianity. Neither one can coexist. It has to be one or the other. No one after. Let me finish. I'm going to finish. I'll give you one last thing. The next verse, please. This concludes the verse. I, should, I need to conclude. I've started, so I'll finish. Would you bear with me for one more minute? No one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better. What the heck is that going on about? They hate change. They hate change. You got his spot on, Pete. What's he saying about them? He's telling them about new wine, but what's their feeling? I don't want this new stuff. I'm a Jew. And it tastes good to me, brother. I have Moses. That's what it does. Can you see what Jesus, Jesus is giving his talk about the new covenant? And then he's preempting what Jews will do, which is, hey, I've got Judaism. I've got Moses. Remember, we've got Moses. Jesus is preempting that the Jews will, by and large, reject the new covenant because they're quite happy with Moses. Because the old is better. The familiar is better. It's safer. They, they, they can be sure about it. They've got, the, they've got the Jesus. They don't know who he is, do they? They've got Moses in their 
scriptures. And they can't palate change. They won't be prepared for it. They won't have it. And eventually, that refusal to palate change, to accept the new covenant and let go of the old, led to them doing what to Jesus? Crucifying him. To shut him up once and for all. You see, it was so disturbing their rituals and their living and their laws and their Judaism that the only way they could stop this guy perverting their religion was to kill him. And they devised the most vile and evil schemes to falsely accuse him so they could eradicate this troublemaker that was saying that Judaism is finishing because there's a new covenant taking over. That's why Jesus was killed. There's a lot of application. We'll, come to, we'll do that another time. I'm out of time. But friends, simply this. I'll give you one line. Faith in Jesus is only and everything that you need to have peace with God and assurance of heaven. It must never be intermingled with a law-based system.